just when you thought there was no hope for baby boomers. It's the Rational Boomer Podcast. Logic, common sense, compassion. Yeah, who knew? Now, here's Mike. We are back on the Rational Boomer Podcast. Hopefully your day is going well. It's Sunday, kind of a low-key day. Probably not a lot going to happen in the news. Monday is going to be a different story. Today I'm going to take it kind of easy. I'm going to do something I don't normally do. I'm going to move furniture. But now wait a minute before you get excited and say, you said you're never going to do that. Well, there are some exceptions. Today, my son and I are going to move some furniture. We're going to move a mattress, a box spring, and a uh, frame to my son's place because it's a brand new big girl bed for my granddaughter. That would be an exception for me. For that, I will get off my dead ass and carry some shit. (laughs) Fortunately, my son's a pretty big guy, so I may just have to act like I'm picking it up. But I will act, trust me. When I walk in the door, that little girl's going to see me holding on to those mattresses and box springs and shit, and will set up her big girl bed. So that's what's planned for my day. You know, unless something should happen in the news that would catch my attention. And, of course, then we'll look at it and see what what occurred. But it's Sunday. And, and that's why doing this particular podcast is one of the tougher podcasts to do. A lot of the things that are going on right now are things we've already talked about. And I try not to repeat them if I can avoid it. The important thing for me doing this podcast and doing the TikToks is try to give you information about things that... Other sources don't give you, like the media. Try to give you all the information so you can make some informed choices uh, about the things that are happening. So anyway, we'll push forward. We'll do this Sunday show, and uh, it'll be a good one (laughs) because it's my fucking show, and that's what I decided to do is do a good one. And we're going to start the show off with an email. We have just one email. It comes to us from Eric, who's written a number of emails. And we're also talking. It looks like he's going to be a guest on Friday here on the Rational Boomer podcast. He's been on before, always a good show. So we'll be looking forward to that. He starts out saying, Hi, Mike, I was thinking about the abortion bans, the bans on gender-affirming care, and Florida's law allowing the state to take custody of children who are physically in the state and have received or are in a family with someone who has received gender-affirming care. While I'm completely against these laws, I do want to see them challenged in court. All of these laws seem to be at odds with HIPAA. I'd love to hear some of these lawmakers Uh, having to defend stripping away HIPAA protections from everyone because they're afraid of trans people. I don't think that the Republican voters understand how harmful these types of laws can be, not just for trans people or women who need abortion, but for everyone. Hopefully more people will see these Republicans for the fascists they are. Thanks, Eric. Well, Eric, these, these clowns will always make these radical statements and gestures and try to scare people into thinking that this is what they're going to do. In most cases, these all get shot down. Think about it. The Republicans, since they took control of the House of Representatives, what have they accomplished? They passed no bills. They have these investigations where they're going to expose the Democrats, the cabal, all of this stuff, but not once have they exposed anything. The only thing that happens is they get embarrassed. Now, for whatever reason, getting embarrassed isn't enough for them to stop or shift gears. They just keep doubling down and keep doing it. What's going on with these abortion bans is even more troubling. I don't quite understand it. One of the reasons there was no red wave in the midterms is because of the Republicans overturning Roe v. Wade. Most Republicans understand this. 
That was a loser idea. And that cost them a red wave in the midterms. That's why they only have a small majority in the House of Representatives. And I was talking to somebody today, and I've said this before here on the podcast. I'll say it again because I'm not above being repetitive. But I personally think the Republicans are worse off winning a small majority in the House than having lost the House. I think they would have been better off if they lost the House. Because then they'd have something to campaign on. They could complain about the things that the Democrats did or didn't do. But they can't now because they're in control of the House of Representatives. So all the things they won't do or all the things they try will now be used against them in the 2024 election. And let's face it, they're going to get nothing done. You have to understand that these people are panicking. They are in a desperation mode. They are losing their grip. Even their base is starting to dwindle. So their power is limited at best, and it's going to go completely away by the time we reach 2024. So they're trying anything. They're going to get outrageous, audacious, obnoxious, and that's what they're doing, just trying to see if something sticks. Now, at this point, all the things we've seen, none of which has worked. But that's not going to stop them from trying. I think a lot of things that they are claiming or threatening, they aren't ever going to be able to accomplish. As I've said before, a lot of people are concerned about what's going on in the House and the crazy things that the Republicans want to pass. But keep in mind, no matter what they pass, no matter what they do, it will never be made law. Because it's got to come out of the House and then go to the Senate and pass the Senate. It can't pass the Senate as long as the Democrats have the majority in the Senate, and they do. But even if it did go through the Senate, it would go to Joe Biden, and he wouldn't fucking sign it. That's why I don't even know why we discuss some of these things. They're never going to happen. Now, some state legislatures, as you pointed out, are trying to do these things. We know Florida. We know Tennessee. And these things will be voted on and probably passed, but uh, they'll be challenged in court and they will ultimately lose because much of this is unconstitutional. I mean, the idea of, of uh, grabbing kids away from parents for something that is their religious mindset is absolutely con- unconstitutional. There's no question about it. No rule like this is going to stick. Nothing like that's going to happen. They're trying to create chaos. They're trying to control the narrative as they have done for the last six years. The big difference now is it's not working so well. People have caught on to their bullshit. The Democrats, for whatever reason, are no longer afraid of the Republicans. This has always been a problem. The the Republicans would act crazily and the Democrats would just step back and cover their heads and hope nothing bad happens. Well, it seems the Democrats have changed their strategy because now they're pushing back. One of the things I'm loving is watching the clips from these hearings or committee meetings that Jim Jordan and the other Trump fucks are having trying to spew this ridiculousness, and then watching Democrats like Jamie Raskin, Eric Swalwell, Katie Porter, just sit back with a smirk on their face and rip them to shreds and embarrass the piss out of them. I think the Democrats are perfectly willing to just sit back and let these fuckers make a fool out of themselves, and then from the peanut gallery take pot shots at them and embarrass them. These are the things that end up being the clips on television. And this is all beneficial to the Democrats come 2024. They're going to have a lot of ammunition to show how stupid, how ineffective and incompetent the Republicans are, specifically in the House. So I understand what you're saying. They're making a lot of noise. I don't think any of this stuff will stick. I think it will all go away, especially the stuff that's unconstitutional or somehow tied to HIPAA. They can't just infringe on HIPAA. They can't infringe on the Constitution. They can try, and these Trumplefucks can pass it in a 
state legislature or something, but that doesn't mean it's going to continue. You can't just make shit up and do it. There are rules and regulations in this country, and once they are taken to court and tested in court, they will be shot down as they fucking always are. Don't listen so much to the rhetoric. Pay more attention to the end result. I mean, you think about it. All these things that they've claimed and threatened, it sounded horrific. It sounded horrible. But but how much of it has actually come to fruition? Now, I will grant you the overturning Roe v. Wade has come to fruition. And frankly, when that was happening, I was hoping they would come out with it uh, before the midterms, because I knew exactly what it would do, and it basically shit-canned the midterms for them. That's not to say that what they did wasn't damaging to this country and to the women of this country. In fact, we've got a story that's kind of tied to that later on. But if it was going to be done, it's better that it costs them something. So then when 2024 comes along, we get a Democratic president, we get the majority in the House and the Senate, then they can finally do, meaning the Democrats can finally do what they should have done 15, 20 years ago, and that's codify Roe v. Wade. They can turn this thing around, they will turn this thing around, and all this other bullshit will stop too once the Democrats have full control. So don't get too excited about it. I mean, some things are going to happen and aren't the best for some people. It's unfortunate, but these Republicans insist on doing it. Since we don't have a majority in the House, we really can't do much to stop what's going on in the House. We certainly can't stop what's going on in state legislatures either. I mean, we've got Florida and Tennessee and Uh, even Arizona to a certain extent, with these Republican legislators, and they're just coming out with crazy shit. We can't be the police officer for everybody. The states, the constituents in these states, have to take action. They have to change what is going on. So the only thing we can do on this end and on the federal end is expose these people for the idiots they are. And hopefully we reach enough people that they understand that they're idiots and some changes are made. What you have to understand is nothing happens quickly in government. Happens very slowly. Like, for example, if the Republicans finally come to their senses and realize following this MAGA group over the cliff is a non-starter, not a winner. Once they finally realize that, now they're going to have to step back, um, reinvent themselves, rebrand themselves, and try to create a different perception of the Republican Party to potential voters. Unfortunately, because everything runs pretty slowly in the government, it's going to take some time. And they're going to take their beatings over that period of time. Legitimately, if they said today that we are going to uh, change our strategy, our policies, and all those things to try to be amenable to voters, it's going to take 8 to 10 years to, to actually make that change. It won't happen overnight, especially with the MAGA fucks continuing to try to beat their drums no matter how weak they get. Um, they're the obnoxious minority. Remember how they used to always talk about the silent majority? Well, the silent majority is people like you and me. And guess what? Now we're talking. So they've got a problem. The ignorant and uh, loud minority is taking it in the pants, and they are slowly but surely slipping away from power, from Donald Trump, and some may be going to look at uh, Ron DeSantis, but I just don't think that's a thing either. Ron has got so many problems, and he's such a piece of shit. You talk to people that knew him or know him when he's not talking as the governor, the common phrase about uh, Ron DeSantis is that he's a dick. I mean, he's really got no personality. He's not a good guy. He's a nasty motherfucker. And that's not going to play well when he has to step up and talk to the American public or 
get into a debate. He's not the sharpest guy in the world. He may be slightly smarter than Donald Trump in some ways, but he's not smart enough to beat Donald Trump. Donald Trump is going to spend the next two years trying to rip him to shreds. And if Ron DeSantis ever gets a set of balls, then he'll try to rip Donald Trump to shreds. And that'll be fun to watch because all it will be is detrimental to the Republican Party and help the Democratic Party. Now, if uh, next week we get an indictment from the Manhattan District against Donald Trump, that's going to be interesting. Now, see, that, that indictment won't necessarily preclude him from running for president, but what it will do is it'll keep that motherfucker busy. He's going to have to mount a defense, and in addition, he's going to have to deal with all these uh, civil suits. He's going to have so much going on and so much money being bled out of him. I don't know that he'll have time to continue to do it. He'll talk about it, but he won't do the things necessary to run for president. I think Donald Trump right now, especially if that indictment comes next week, he's out of the mix. He won't be able to compete. I mean, even if everything was going right right now, as far as his support, he probably doesn't have a chance. So we'll see what happens next week. And uh, we'll likely get one step closer to being done with Donald Trump. And it's none too soon. I want to do one story here that's out of character, really doesn't have anything to do with politics. It's more kind of a personal thing, and it's more kind of a localized thing. There was a time in my life where I was a rabid football fan, the NFL. And back in the 70s, I watched the Vikings, and those were the times when the Vikings were really good. I mean, they got to the Super Bowl four times. Now, they lost each time. I'll give you that, but they were a very good team. And one of the reasons they were a good team is because of their coach, Bud Grant. Now, Bud Grant's kind of a local hero. He played on the Lakers. He played in Canada for football. He was a great athlete in his own right, and then he became a coach for the Minnesota Vikings, and uh, he was probably the greatest coach the Vikings ever had. And he was a hard-ass dude. I mean, they had an outdoor stadium back in the day. And come late December, early January, it was cold as fuck here. But he would make those players stand on the sidelines. No heater. He wouldn't allow them to wear gloves. And these guys were cold as shit. Well, the reason I bring it up, because Bud Grant, kind of a stoic and demanding Hall of Fame coach, um, died yesterday at age 95. Lived a good life. Nothing surprising that he passed away at 95. Now, the Vikings announced Grant's death on social media, saying, we are absolutely devastated to announce legendary Minnesota Vikings head coach and Hall of Famer Bud Grant has passed away this morning at age 95, the Post said. We, like all Vikings and NFL fans, are shocked and saddened by this terrible news. Again, this has nothing to do with politics or any of the things that we will be talking about. But uh, back in the day when I was a big football fan, I still like football, but I can't sit and watch any team, including the Vikings, for any extended period. It's such a different world, such a different game right now. I find it annoying. But back when Bud was the coach, them's was the days. You know, and it's funny about, I remember back in those days in the 70s, they didn't make anywhere nearly the kind of money that they make now. In fact, many of the Vikings players in the offseason had other jobs. There's a Cadillac dealership in Bloomington out by where the stadium was. Uh, It's called Key Cadillac. And uh, a lot of the Vikings work there. Some of them sold insurance. Some of them sold real estate. It was really an interesting thing. They didn't make a lot of money. And that may be why football was as good as it was back then and not so great now. Now we've got people making $85 million, $100 million. It's kind of of destroyed football, I think. I mean, I still like watching it, but it's just not the same. Anyway, sad day. Bud Grant dies, age 95, the greatest uh, coach the Vikings ever had, 
and it's a sad day. He was not an easy guy to talk to. Back in the day when I was young and I was doing the stringer work, I interviewed him a couple times, and he was a tough nut to crack. If you couldn't joke with him, you couldn't try to add any levity to the situation. He was just fucking serious as hell. So those interviews were always tough. All right, let's get down to some of the news. And the big news coming into this weekend was, of course, the failure of the Silicon Valley Bank. Now, this is a huge bank. It's got $208 billion, B with a billion dollars in assets. It's a big bank. But what we'll talk about here in a bit is it's a big bank at $208 billion. But it's not big enough to have been really regulated. And the reason we don't have a lot of the regulations on banks is because of Donald Trump. The reason we don't have as many regulations on train, like the one who derailed in Ohio, is because of Donald Trump. Republicans want to get rid of regulations. They say it's unconstitutional. They say it's bad for the country. But when it's talking about people's livelihoods and their very lives, you would think regulations would be something everybody stood for. Now, the interesting thing about the Silicon Valley Bank, it's not just the bank that gets fucked on this deal. They held a lot of money. They were in the Silicon Valley, and they handled a lot of startups in the tech business. Hundreds of startups now face a massive cash crunch if the search for a buyer for Silicon Valley Bank drags into next week. We talked about that before. When something like this happens, typically somebody steps in and says, I'll buy it, and uh, in a couple of days things get back to normal. But at this point, nobody has said that they want to buy Silicon Valley Bank. The Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, you know them as FDIC, took control of the bank Friday after it was shut down by California regulators when a failed $2.3 billion capital raise sent its stock crashing. Now, what this does, it leaves like hundreds of startups that deposited their cash with the bank in just absolute turmoil. Think about this. Say you get your paycheck and it goes into your bank. Next day, they say, you know what? You can't touch it. It's locked down. It's frozen. Now, these companies are still trying to continue to operate while literally millions of dollars are locked down. In the meantime, signs of stress among SVB's entrepreneurial clients are beginning to show up. I mean, this just happened Friday, and it's Sunday now. It's already starting to cause some pain. The need for startups to make payroll is one being echoed across the VC ecosystem. Now, in a tweet, founder Nikita Byer said that the number of growth stage companies that had their cash at SVB is huge. Making payroll next week is going to be a shit show. Sam Lesson, a partner at Slow Ventures, told CNBC Friday, a founder he had spoken to, planned to cover payrolls personally and figured it out from there. Even startups that didn't bank directly with SVB have been hit by its collapse. Um, and in fact, this is even having an impact on, uh, on the stock market. Uh, Flow Health CEO Alex Meshkin said, We literally have no way of paying employees right now. Some startups took drastic steps on Friday to try to bring bring cash in. The popular toy store, um, Camp, told its customers it was in distress after its funds got trapped by the collapse. Can you imagine how bad that would be? Camp says, uh, all of our cash was at SVB and we are trying to build up our balance at Chase. Camp CEO and co-founder Ben Kaufman told that to Insider via Twitter direct message. The company announced a 40% off sale 
in a bid to raise cash from its customers, instructing them to use the tongue-in-cheek code BANKRUN at the checkout. The ripple effect of SBB's demise are likely to be extensive. According to its website, the bank supported nearly half of U.S. venture-backed startups in the end of December. Think about that. Half of the venture-backed startups. Now, in a tweet, Startup Accelerator Y uh, Combinator CEO Gary Tan said SVB's collapse was an extinction-level event for startups and will set startups and innovation back by 10 years. He told the Wall Street Journal that a survey Friday of its 3,000-odd active companies found almost 400 had a relationship with SVB and more than 100 feared they couldn't make payroll in the next 30 days unless the situation was swiftly resolved. Tan urged people to contact their members of Congress to voice their concerns. Now, what you've got to understand, those people with money in SVB, the FDIC insures money that they have in there to make sure that their money is safe, but only up to $250,000. That's not going to be much good for some of the bigger accounts. Many founders and startups have millions with SVB and put huge sums at risk. Take Roku, for example. You know who Roku is? It's, it's the streaming service for your TV. It had close to $500 million deposited with SVB. Can you imagine that? $500 million posted. They can't touch it. Well, except for the $250,000 that's insured. It's fucking crazy. Now, a lot of people thought this was all tied to cryptocurrency, and it's really not, as I understand it. I heard somebody try to explain it very simply, and I'll try to do the same here. I'm certainly not an expert on these types of things, and I don't know what I'm talking about. All I can tell you is what I heard. Apparently what happened was they have a bank, everything's go along as normal, and of course banks take the money they have and they invest them. Well, what they happen to invest a lot of money into is, you know, those mortgages that are all bundled together. And these weren't necessarily bad mortgages, But the interest rate, by way of the Fed, keeps going up. And that makes these mortgages less valuable and tougher to collect on. So that put them in a cash flow pinch. Now, in a situation like this, a company like or a bank like SVB should say, okay, we got a problem here. Under the radar, do some things to fix it out. Try to get the money back and try to figure out what you're doing. That's not what they did. What they did is they ended up selling a bunch of stock or something at a low, low rate, which sent up a red flag and people got freaked out about it. Then they had a run on the bank. This was about a dumb choice by the people running that bank. And one of the reasons this whole problem happened is because of regulations. Now, there are some regulations on big banks, but you'll remember when Donald Trump was president, they got rid of a lot of regulations. In fact, the CEO of this particular bank fought to get some of the regulations taken off. And it worked out that there are regulations on uh, banks that have $250 billion in assets and above. But you'll remember, I told you that SVB as total assets of $208 billion. So they fall right underneath that level where they need to have those extra regulations. Now, the Republicans will tell you, we can't have regulations. Let's, let's let the market run it. Let's do that. But now we see what happens without those regulations. A bank worth $200 billion goes bust, essentially, because of some stupid choices. It's kind of scary when you think about how fragile the banking system is. What happened isn't really that big a deal. It could have been handled better, and we wouldn't be dealing with this shit. But people make mistakes. People make some dumb choices, and that's what happened in this case. So it's one thing for a bank to get racked up like this, 
But as I said, this is going to impact a lot of uh, startups and other businesses uh, in the tech industry. That's the one thing about what do they always say? Shit rolls downhill. And that's exactly what's going to happen here. The bank's fucked up. They got all kinds of problems. They got all kinds of uh, bad PR. But the outcome from what happened here is going to potentially destroy a lot of startup companies, companies that might otherwise be successful. You have to wonder if there aren't similar situations in similar banks. The failure of this bank is the second largest bank to do that. The other one was a bank in 2008 when we had that problem. Fortunately, in that issue, that bank, somebody swooped in, bought it. It was rough for a while, but they got it figured out and things got back to normal. That's why they're so concerned about the prospect of somebody buying SVB. I have a feeling that ultimately that will happen. I have a feeling that some of the potential buyers are sitting back a little bit and saying, let's let them stew for a minute. Let's see how low we can get this purchase price down, and then we'll come in and grab hold of it. I think ultimately SVB will be purchased and things will ultimately be okay, but this should be a red flag for us. We don't have the proper regulations and shit like this will happen. As I've said before, these rich people, these elites, The corporations, the banks, the individuals that are very wealthy, they are so greedy that they will eat until they explode, like the dog, with dog food. They don't have enough foresight to understand that there is a point that is too far. They think the gravy train will never end, and they just keep chowing on it, and keep chowing on it, and keep chowing on it, until it goes to shit, like it did with SVB. Hopefully some other banks will learn some lessons, and hopefully we can get some regulations back in force in these things. Those regulations aren't there just to control people and control people's money. It's also there to protect people, and the Republicans would disagree with me. But now we see what happened with SVB, the train derailment in Ohio. Can you still say that uh, it's something we shouldn't do? It's something we should absolutely do because the government's first job is to protect the citizens of this country. And in both of these incidents, citizens, constituents, small businesses will take the hit. SVB will ultimately be all right. But what would happen if you ran a company and they said, look, you're not going to have access to your money for 30 days or 60 days? That can pretty much put a lot of companies out of business. I mean, if you have people working for you and they aren't going to get paid for 60 days, how long are they going to continue to work for you? And then if you lose your entire staff, then you got to build it back up again, train them, and hopefully you can catch up. But it's going to be hard to do that. We've got some real problems in this country, and the chickens are coming home to roost. The Republicans are going to have to answer for these sorts of things. And things are going to have to change unless we want more of what we're seeing here. All right, let's take a quick break and we will be right back. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound. And you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. You know, one of the most frustrating things about this country over the last six years is we have so many problems, so many things to be concerned about. It's hard to keep our eye on the prize of any one situation. I mean, like take guns, for example. The only time people talk about restricting guns and gun laws and those sort of things is after a mass shooting. 
then that's fucking ridiculous. But of course, we've got other things to be concerned about, little things like overturning Roe v. Wade, like overturning elections or overthrowing the government or investigations or possible indictments. We're kind of like the dog with the squirrel. Things are going on around us, and we're intent on one thing, and then some other shiny object comes up, and we turn our head and go, oh, yeah, let's talk about that. The problem is if we keep doing that, if we don't focus on something and get something done, nothing will ever get done. And I mentioned the gun situation, and this is certainly a problem in this country. We have people in the Republican Party that quote the Second Amendment as if it says that everybody can have as many guns and any type of guns they want, and they can do anything they want with them, walk around town or what have you. Now, if you've ever read the Second Amendment, it says nothing like that. These people have perverted what it says. They got money from the NRA and other gun lobbies, and... Uh, just went rogue on the thing. They've convinced the Trump LaFucks and other Republicans that uh, they're going to take our guns. They're going to take our guns. So then nothing happens to control our gun problem. I mean, you think about how many decades have we been having mass shootings? I mean, how long ago was Columbine? And all the ones since. And every time something happens, absolutely nothing happens in Congress. You can blame the Republicans for this, but you got to blame the Democrats, too. They've had power over the years. They could have done some things. But understand, the money that comes in from the gun lobby doesn't just go into Republicans' pockets. It also goes into Democrats' pockets as well. And that's why nothing has ever gotten done. Now, there seems to be a little concern down in New Mexico New Mexico's Senate Judiciary Committee gathered recently to figure out how much latitude they had to regulate guns after last year's bombshell Second Amendment ruling from the Supreme Court. Now, most sounded confused. Some seemed unaware that the laws they passed might not hold up in court if a similar regulation hadn't been on the books in the 18th century. One lawmaker called the ruling mind-boggling. Another asked whether their authority is now limited to regulating firearms where you have to manually load them with gunpowder. I mean, that's how ridiculous it is. These laws are archaic, and they were laws on the books for guns that they had no idea would ever exist. Do you think back in the 18th century or the 19th century, anybody could have fathomed automatic or even semi-automatic weapons? I don't think so. And did they think that anybody and his brother could grab a gun and walk down the street and shoot up a store, shoot up a school, a library, whatever the fuck, a church? They didn't have that in mind when they were making those laws. New Mexico's legislative session last month opened with gun reform high on the agenda. Now, after a string of politically motivated shootings at the homes of Democratic legislatures, legislators in Albuquerque, Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham called for a series of firearm restrictions, including an assault weapons ban in her state of the state speech in January. But... With a week left to go before the session ends, lawmakers are cautiously approaching gun bills and are wary of passing laws that will run afoul of the Supreme Court that has taken a firm stance on the side of gun rights. You see their problem here. They can pass a law, but then when somebody sues, one of the Trump LaFuck sues, takes it all the way up to the Supreme Court and then overturns it, well, that's a problem. The legislature is likely to pass some gun reform before the session ends, but lawmakers say an assault weapons ban would be unlikely to hold up into court. And they're uncertain about a proposal to raise the age to buy some types of firearms from 18 to 21. Can you imagine that? They don't know that they can ban semi-automatic weapons or assault-type weapons. They don't even know if they can raise the age that an idiot can get a gun from 18 to 21. 
Those seems like obvious choices, but as I say, the Republicans, the Trump LaFucks, like to take the Second Amendment, pervert it, bring it all the way up to the Supreme Court that has six conservative sitting Supreme Court justices who are as partisan and unethical and corrupt as you can possibly get, and then they control the very lives of people in this country. Because it seems like every day there's some kind of mass shooting and an American is killed. You would think that would be enough incentive for them to do something, but oh no, not the Trumplifux, not the conservative judges in the Supreme Court. The chairman of the uh, state's Senate Judiciary Committee, Joseph Cervantes, says, What I hope we don't do is lead the public into believing we're doing something, knowing full well that what we're doing is unlikely to really have an effect. The flagging reform push in New Mexico highlights how the Supreme Court's decision in New York State Rifle and Pistol Association Incorporated v. Bruin, which overturned a narrow provision of New York's concealed carry law, isn't just overturning gun restrictions. It's also blocking them from passing in the first place. The Brewer ruling is going to hurt us for decades to come, said Miranda Viscoli. She's the co-president of New Mexicans to Prevent Gun Violence. It's going to be the excuse of every conservative Democrat who doesn't want to pass common-sense gun laws. The majority opinion authored by Justice Clarence Thomas. Well, of course it was him. That directed the federal courts to stop considering state government safety concerns when weighing the constitutionality of gun restrictions. Our own Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas doesn't think that the people of this country can be safe from people with outrageous guns, with checkered backgrounds that tend to be violent, There is no restrictions on where you can carry these things. And Clarence Thomas is all for putting the people of this country at risk. Yet another reason we should look at somehow booting his ass out of the Supreme Court. I don't know how we can do it, but it should be something that we should be focused on. Now, the major exception Thomas envisioned was a gun restrictions with a historical precedent. Ideally, those dating back to the passage of the Bill of Rights in 1791. Now, I will tell you this. The Bill of Rights in the Constitution was never meant to be written in stone and stay as it is. Our forefathers understood the changes that would take place in this country. If you talk to Republicans, I say, you can't change the Constitution. Well, motherfucker, aren't there amendments in the Constitution? Amendments are exactly the opposite of what you're saying. The amendments are adjusting or changing laws in the Constitution because they might be too archaic or they might not be appropriate given the new times. We're dealing with people that are brainwashed. We're dealing with people that don't care about the safety of others, and that is a problem. And that is one thing we take our eye off of all too often with all this other bullshit going on. This should be one of our priorities, and it may not be till 2024 that we can do something about it. But when we get to 2024 and we can outvote the Republicans, that's one thing. But you heard what I mentioned earlier. There are Democrats, conservative Democrats, I don't know, like Joe Manchin, Christian Cinema, and even some others that don't want the gun laws either. So it's not strictly down party lines. There are certain people that don't feel that the people in this country need to be safer. They're willing to put them at risk so they can continue to collect money and stuff it in their pockets like the pigs they are. We can't take our eyes off the prize, and there's a lot of prizes to be had here. There's a lot of things that need to get done. We just have to be careful that we don't forget about very important ones like the issue of gun control. Well, now, Donald Trump's legal team has another issue to contend with. They have been given a deadline of Wednesday, this Wednesday, to explain themselves 
after a fellow attorney ratted them out for double-booking trial appearances in an effort to get around court-imposed deadlines. You see what they did there? They accidentally, on purpose, double-booked so they can say, oh, we can't go, we're going to have to delay it some more. But apparently, another lawyer noticed this and said, hey, this is fucked up, Judge. What do you think? Now, according to a report from Daily Beast, Joe Paglieri, the former president's penchant for dragging out legal proceedings has come back to haunt his attorneys who are battling investigations on multiple fronts. See, this is what we talked about before. I don't know what it is about these lawyers. They are being asked to do things by Donald Trump that they know are illegal, that they know will get them in trouble, but still they do it. Does Donald Trump have something on everybody? Or are they just so sucked in and brainwashed by Donald Trump? I don't know what it is. But these lawyers, there's going to be a lot of lawyers when this is all said and done that at the best won't get paid or at the worst will have their licenses taken away. As Paglieri wrote, Trump's lawyers have until Wednesday to explain how they tried to play two New York judges off each other by double-booking trials to potentially delay them both. Before adding, Trump already pushed back a potential late 2023 trial over duping investors to uh, January 2024, citing a conflict with the New York Attorney General's trial over his fake financial statements to banks. But when Trump's team recently sought to delay the AG trial, they got caught. This is what they do. They have no defense for virtually anything they do. All they try to do is game the system. And for decades, they've gotten away with it. But as of late, they're now starting to get caught. The report notes that they may have gotten away with it if a fellow attorney didn't alert U.S. District Judge Lorna Schofield in federal court and Justice Arthur F. Engeron in a state court that they may be getting played. Now, the report adds attorney Robert Roberta Kaplan wrote to the two judges explaining Donald Trump has a history of leveraging his presidential campaign activities to delay and avoid judicial proceedings. We anticipated that. Should the case schedule run into 2024, Mr. Trump will begin to argue that his campaign obligations must take precedence over his participation in this case, including a trial. We know this is true. Now, Pace University law professor Randolph M. McLaughlin equated Trump's legal team's actions to those of children. And he isn't the first one to say that Donald Trump is a fucking child. He says, when child, children do this, go from one parent to another, if the parents aren't aware of what the kid is doing, the kid can get away with things. But once the parent is aware the child is playing them against each other, the game is over. And in the situation with Donald Trump and these uh, two courts, fucking over. He got caught. He's not going to get away with it. Now, we know uh, Donald's other civil case is coming up very quickly. He's tried to delay this thing so many times. He's tried to get it dismissed. Nothing has worked. And apparently an anonymous jury may hear writer E. Jean Carroll's upcoming rape, rape defamation suit against Donald Trump, a judge in the case indicated on Saturday. Now, Carroll... We know she's a former columnist for Elle magazine. She's accused Trump of raping her in a dressing room of a Manhattan department store late 90s, long time ago. She sued him for defamation after he derided her claims. She said she was not his type and that her accusation was politically motivated, all of which is untrue. Donald Trump doesn't have a type. He abuses everybody. U.S. District Judge Lewis Kaplan in Manhattan issued an order Saturday asking Trump and Carroll to respond by March 17th if either side has any objections to using an anonymous jury. Blumberg reported uh, that yesterday Kaplan did, didn't explain why he might opt for an anonymous jury, but jurors could be targets of threats in politically charged cases. 
Anonymous juries have been used in the past to protect jurors' safety in the cases involving organized crimes and terrorists. Well, we know that if you speak out against Donald Trump, you are at risk. I mean, take those two women, mother and daughter, in Georgia during the election. They were just doing their job. Donald Trump targeted them, and them they are to this day getting death threats. So I can understand why they would want an anonymous jury. I have a feeling they're going to want anonymous juries in all the upcoming cases against Donald Trump. He has proven to create or incite violence against innocent people that are simply doing their job. Now, Kaplan also ruled Friday that Trump's controversial hot mic comments to an Access Hollywood host in 2005 will be allowed at the trial. Remember that that video. Trump boasted then about grabbing women's genitals without their consent, saying he could get away with it because he was famous. Neither Carol's nor Trump's attorneys could immediately be reached for comment, but that trial is scheduled for April 10th. We're talking one month out. One month from now, that E. Jean Carroll case will be taking place. That's going to be very interesting. He can't go to jail over anything in this case, but he can be exposed for who he is and what he is. He's a fucking monster. He is somebody that is a serial abuser of women. He's a serial liar, thief. He's corrupt. But he, keep in mind, when he came into, when he came into the election in 2016, there were 17 women that claimed um, that he abused them or attacked them sexually. 17 women. And the Republicans as a whole, the evangelicals particularly, couldn't have cared less. Had that been a Democrat, they would have been torn apart. But Donald Trump can get away with anything. These people will will turn a blind eye to anything that they would normally be against simply because they love Donald Trump. Now, there was an interesting story. You know, the whole thing with Jeffrey Epstein, he's a pedophile. That's, he was convicted of such twice. Uh, he went to jail, and of course, he allegedly committed suicide. I really question that. There's a lot of shaky things that were happening in and around his jail cell. He was supposed to be watched constantly. And for a period of time, just happened to be the period of time that uh, Jeffrey Epstein died, he wasn't being watched. I don't think that's a mistake. But here's an interesting story. Accused sex trafficker Jeffrey Epstein He was photographed in the past partying with Donald Trump. We've all seen the video. Uh, Apparently, Jeffrey Epstein stopped hanging out with Trump. It wasn't that Trump stopped hanging out with Jeffrey Epstein. Epstein stopped hanging out with Trump when he realized he was a crook. And this was a quote from Mark Epstein, who was Jeffrey Epstein's brother. According to Mark Epstein, Trump and Jeffrey Epstein were friends for years. We know that's true. But Jeffrey Epstein Epstein said in an unaired interview with former White House advisor Steve Bannon, seen by his brother, that he cut dives with Trump because of his concerns, Business Insider reported on Saturday. Bannon sent Jeffrey Epstein a Dropbox link to a clip of the interview, which Epstein forwarded to his brother in 2019. According to Mark, the link is no longer active. Epstein's brother told the Business Insider. Now, Jeffrey Epstein was arrested in 2019 on federal sex trafficking charges, died of an apparent suicide in a Manhattan jail. Now, he was suspected of raping scores of young women, many of them minors, and providing them to other men. His longtime companion, Ghislaine Maxwell, she's currently in jail for 20 years. And I just want to remind you of the fact that um, there was also a court case. It was a civil court case where Donald Trump was a co-defendant with Jeffrey Epstein. 
and the accusation was that he raped a thir- they together raped a 13-year-old girl. This has been a weird thing. It was out there and it was happening, then it was pulled back, then it was happening again, then it was pulled back. Much like what we were talking about with the anonymous jur- juries, do you think that uh, maybe there was some coercion or some threats made by Donald Trump and or his people regarding that case? Is that why that case never went to court? I have a feeling, though, that when all this stuff starts coming apart at the seams, which we're pretty close to having happen, we'll see that that court case come up again, and then Donald Trump will be exposed for the monster pedophile that he fucking is. You remember when uh, Maxwell was arrested, Donald Trump wished Maxwell well after the arrest. But Trump also banned Epstein from Mar-a-Lago Club shortly before 2008 after Epstein hit on the teenage daughter of a resort member, according to the book, The Grifters Club. Trump, Mar-a-Lago, and the selling of the presidency. Epstein pleaded guilty in 2008 to Florida sex trafficking charges. Now, you'll remember when he was arrested that time, he got such an easy deal. In fact, he got let out during the day so he could still work. This guy was a convicted pedophile, and he was treated like a king. And that was a prosecutor in Florida who ultimately worked for Donald Trump. Coincidental? I think not. In a, photo, in a photo widely circulated in the media, Donald Trump is seen with his future wife, Melania Noss at the time, and Jeffrey Epstein at a party venue. The men reportedly often met up at social gatherings beginning in the late 80s into the 2000s. Oh, I hardly know him. Yeah, you've known him for and hung around with him for 20 years. Epstein, for a time, was a frequent guest at Trump's Mar-a-Lago Resort, which was close to Epstein's Palm Beach home. The men were captured on video together at one party, joking together in footage on NBC. One of Epstein's victims testified at Maxwell's trial that she once met Trump at Mar-a-Lago when she was with Epstein. She was 14 at the time. Neither Trump nor Bannon could immediately be reached for comment. Oh, big surprise. That stuff is going to come out ultimately. It can't stay hidden forever. Those are like bombshell news stories. And Donald Trump will have to be exposed for the monster that he is. I know the MAGA people won't like hearing me say that and will disagree with me. But the fact of the matter is, the facts show that that's who Donald Trump is. It will become more widely known as time goes on. Once those indictments start to hit, any kind of shielding or any kind of defense he has will just wash away. And Donald Trump will be, not literally, but will be raped and pilloried himself. The White House... uh, is now dealing with uh, that little group called the House Freedom Caucus, which is another name for MAGAFOX, Trumplafox. What the White House is doing is trying to stick them with a perception that's true. Freedom Caucus is suggesting some things they should do to cut things so they uh, finally agree to raise the debt limit. The deficit plan, as they're trying to brand it as tax breaks for the super wealthy, which is what it is, wasteful spending for special interest as the two sides continue to kind of trade jabs amid an escalating debt ceiling battle. Now, what MAGA House Republicans are proposing, if spread evenly across the affected discretionary programs, at least a 20% across-the-board cut White House Communications Director Ben LeBolt said in initial analysis of the proposal. Now, LeBolt pointed out to several typically Republican issue areas that would be impacted by such cuts, including law enforcement, border security, and education, and manufacturing. You're probably saying to yourself, why would they do that? Why would they want to cut their own things? I'll tell you why. 
The reason why is when they cut these things, then when it comes to 2024, they'll then blame Joe Biden and the Democrats for cutting these things. Whatever negative things come out of cutting 20% out of these things will reflect on Joe Biden. They're trying to set up a plan so that they have something to campaign on. As I told you before, we're in the uh, House of Representatives and we've got people that can't get anything accomplished. They can't blame the Democrats for what doesn't get accomplished in the House because they don't hold the majority. So they need some dirt. And there is no real dirt that they can use, nothing substantial. So they've got to create the dirt so that they can use it later. Sounds pretty insidious, doesn't it? But that's who these fuckers are. That's how they do things. Now, as we're getting to the end of the Rational Boomer podcast, I wanted to talk about uh, this situation down in Texas. And this situation is going to become more prevalent in other states, given the current situation of the uh, overturning of Roe v. Wade and all these states, you know, cutting abortion down to six weeks and then making people liable if you help somebody to get an abortion. Right now, a Texas man is suing three women that he alleges helped his now ex-wife obtain medication for an abortion. Not having an abortion, but medication for an abortion. Marcus Silva filed a wrongful death lawsuit on March 9th seeking more than a million dollars in damages from each of the women claiming their alleged assistance in procuring the abortion medication is equivalent to aiding murder under Texas law. That's what it's come to. And it's not just going to be Texas, ultimately. Silva's ex-wife is not named as a defendant in the civil lawsuit. The complaint notes that she is exempt under Texas law from liability as the person who underwent the abortion and that Silva is not pursuing any claims against her. What Silva alleges, his then-wife, the pair officially divorced in February, according to the lawsuit, discovered she was pregnant in July of last year, just one month after overturning Roe v. Wade and before state lawmaking performing abortion, a felony went into effect in Texas. Now, what Silva claims is the two defendants shared information with his ex-wife about Aid Access, an international group that ships abortion medication by mail. And a third defendant set up the delivery of the medication. The lawsuit includes as exhibits alleged text messages exchanged among the women. Now, it's not like they had this medicine and handed it to her. They gave her information so she could find it on her own. And for that, this idiot thinks he has the right to sue these women for a million dollars apiece. Now, these women haven't been criminally charged. According to the complaint, Silva intends to sue the manufacturers of the medication as well as once it is identified. Silva is represented by Jonathan Mitchell, a lawyer who helped create a Texas bill banning abortion after about six weeks of pregnancy, and Republican State Rep. Briscoe Kane. Now, after the fall of Roe v. Wade, legal battles over medication abortion in states that restrict the procedure have amplified. Of course, we know Walgreens recently said it will not sell Mifepristone, an abortion pill in 20 states that had threatened legal action. And this is causing all kinds of problems for Walgreens, too. Um, Hell, California is kicking Walgreens out of the state for taking that action. Now, Silva said in the lawsuit, we are outraged, but we are not surprised. Davis called uh, Wendy Davis, a senior advisor of Planned Parenthood, Uh, called the lawsuit a direct result of the dangerous policies championed by Greg Abbott, Governor Greg Abbott, and his supporters. It is a state-sanctioned harassment, and we will not stand for it. Earlier this week, five women sued the state over its strict abortion laws, stating they were denied the procedure even though their lives were threatened. 
Nancy Northrup, the president and CEO of the Center for Reproductive Rights, said the lawsuit was filed to stop the unnecessary pain, suffering, injury, and life-threatening complications caused by the Texas abortion ban. And it goes back to what I've said before. They don't want to control guns because they don't care if people are wounded or killed on our streets every fucking day. The fact that abortions might be important to some women for their own safety, their own health and welfare, Texas doesn't give a fuck about it. In fact, no Republican gives a fuck about it. There will be some Republicans who say, well, we don't stand with MAGA. Well, you're supporting them. So you're just as bad as they are. What does the country come to when our government doesn't care if people die, people are injured, or people suffer? This is a huge problem in this country without question. And we must do something about it. Unfortunately, it doesn't appear as though that we will be able to do anything about it until 2024 when we can get the the majority back in the House, keep the majority in the Senate, and keep a Democrat in the Oval Office. If we can do that, then we can make some changes. But I'll be honest with you, between now and then, there aren't many changes we can make. The Republicans will do what they do. They're obstructionists. They don't want to accomplish anything, and they want to do anything they can to own the libtards. They're not doing so well with it as of late. They are going to get exposed and embarrassed as they have been each and every day this past week. But that doesn't mean anything's going to get done to fix it. Democrats need the power to do it. They do not have the power to do it currently. You can take it to the Supreme Court, but we know what we have to deal with with the fucking Supreme Court. They're as bad as the MAGA fucks, the Trumpla fucks. Again, yet another problem we have going on in this country, and we constantly get distracted by the newest, most shiny problem. Investigations, indictments, overturning Roe v. Wade, gun problems, police problems. We've got so many problems in this country, and the Republicans refuse to do anything about it. In fact, they do everything they can to exacerbate it. And therein lies the problem in this country. So... The answer to this lays at the feet of all of us. The only way to fix these things is by voting for the right people. And unfortunately, in many states, there are districts that will vote for Marjorie Taylor Greene, Paul Gozar, Lauren Boebert, Mitch McConnell. And you can only assume that those people who vote for these fucks don't care about people's safety either. You can bet if one of their kids gets shot in a school or one of their relatives needs an abortion and they're denied, then they'll be screaming like stuck pigs. But that is the problem with this country. Nobody takes anything serious or even pays attention until it bites them in the ass. And then they scream louder and louder and louder. Not enough people getting bit in the ass, so maybe that's our job. Talk louder, shove it in their face, embarrass them. Control the narrative and shut these motherfuckers down. Something must be done. And personally, I don't want to wait till 2024. I want to see some action now. And unfortunately, the only court that's going to save us and give us any justice is the court of public opinion. And that is our responsibility. Our voices control the court of public opinion. All right, we're going to wrap things up for the Rational Boomer podcast. I want to thank you for taking the time out of your day to listen. I hope you have a great day, and we will talk to you again tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the Rational Boomer podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you next time.